0: For this morning is 1 Peter 3 18 and 19. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. In that state, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. The word of the Lord. Uh, Grace and peace be with you. And hello to all the family joining online. I have to say though, um, I feel a little giddy this morning because I walk in and I see faces that I haven't seen in months, I see new faces, I see people that I haven't had a chance to meet yet. So maybe and I first start by saying my name is Ashley and if we have not had a chance to meet either uh, recently or ever, I, we have someone visiting who um, whose last time here was in 2008, welcome Ralph. Uh, it's so good to be with you, I'm one of our co-lead pastors and it's a beautiful day to be together as the body of Christ. Um, Yesterday, I had a chance along with Delwyn and a few other families to enjoy one of the beach days, the very first beach day that Trace mentioned, and it was awesome being together. However, it was not as hot as I had hoped. Does anyone else have a beach minimum for going to the beach? My beach minimum is about 83. Degrees, okay, for me to want to be on a beach. Yesterday it was a breezy 79, okay, so we missed my minimum by a little bit. But I'll tell you what I think of when I think of hot it's not the beach, it's not the desert, it's this place. Did the back of your legs feel sticky yet? Do you feel a trickle of sweat underneath your knee crease? Anyone else know what I'm looking at right here? It's a living room covered in plastic. And if your living room is covered in plastic, bless you. I'm not coming after you this morning. This is just a narrative of my experience. Okay. My grandmother, she had a friend in her small Texas town who always always had plastic coverings on her living room furniture. It could be 83 degrees or more, and we'd sit on that couch as kids, just as polite and miserable as we ever wanted to be. But my guess is that because of the cost of my Meemaw's friend's furniture, she did not want to risk direct contact This place in the house was set apart, shielded from food, sticky fingers, messy faces, all of the above that you can imagine, and all of the other rooms were fair game, but this one, this one, saran-wrapped, protected, soil-proof. The irony, though, Mars Hill, is that it was called the living, room. And yet, because of her caution, the opposite resulted. There was very little living that actually took place because the place meant for living was now off limits and out of reach. Today, I think about our life with God as a house. And as I was studying for this morning, the Holy Spirit kept asking me this question, Ashley, if your life was a house, which rooms house the things that you feel deep down are out of reach for me? Where are the places that you still think I can't get to? Sometimes I wonder if because what we focused on, or at least some of us have focused on in our life with God, is belief and obedience. Do I believe in God, and am I doing what I'm supposed to do? We've tucked away all the other stuff, the harder stuff. We've wrapped it in saran wrap. We've tucked it away to collect dust, and no one can really go there, Jesus included. And because no one's allowed there, we start to believe Jesus can't go there or won't do anything about it. Mars Hill, if we are going to tell the whole story of the good news of Jesus Christ, we've got to ask where the places are that we've made off limits. Thank you, Jim. Bless you, brother. Here's why. We can talk about resurrection, which we will next week. But hear me out. There's a caveat right now. We're not going to get there too soon. We have to talk about what comes before resurrection. We love Easter. And we should. We should celebrate that he is risen. But the meaning of the significance of that resurrection is illuminated all the more when the off-limit places encounter an ever-living God. And so that's... When we'll see the fullness of the good news of Jesus Christ change and transform, not just us, but the world around us, the people around us. But we have to tell and believe the full story, which brings us to today and where we're focusing on in this series that we've been in for a few weeks now entitled We Believe, where we're looking at the Apostles' Creed. And if you're joining us for the first time in weeks past, we are committing ourselves to memorizing this together as a church body. So if you're willing and able, would you stand as we recite where we are up to today? Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. Thank you, you can be seated. He descended to the dead. What a fun week you chose to show up to church today. Author Michael F. Byrd says it well when he says, there is no line in the creed more misunderstood and more neglected than this one. This one line might raise some questions for a couple of reasons. First, there was a disagreement in the early church over specifically the statement he descended to the dead, but it wasn't necessarily a theological disagreement. See, people may have believed that Jesus actually descended to the dead, but people were confused as as to which version of the creed to use. Husto Gonzalez, his scholarship, which is very thorough, highlights that this wasn't officially this line wasn't officially included until the ninth century. So it was a late addition. However, there had been an appearance of it in the fourth century and then again in the eighth century. And so the church asked, well, which version do we use then? With this statement, without this statement, there was some confusion there. Second, there was some confusion in a word that was used. It wasn't just about the phrase itself being included or excluded. There's a version of the creed that reads, he descended to hell. Now, there are quite a few streams of thought, very well-researched ones, coming from individuals who are faithful, who have varied perspectives on whether hell is an actual place. But let's be clear, that's not the point of our discussion today, because that's not the statement of belief that the creed is pointing us to. The traditional Jewish belief was that the souls of the dead went to a place below the earth. So no new heresy highlight today. I know Tim will be disappointed. But to reiterate one that he's mentioned previously, it was significant when the idea of docetism was rejected because this means Jesus wasn't some holographic spirit just kind of floating around, experiencing life, not actually engaging the things that we do in our full bodies. That was rejected because he was actually, he actually died as fully God, fully man. His descent wasn't just a nebulous idea, but a meaningful, actual part of the story. So the confusion comes when some, like I did a long time ago, I asked, okay, so Jesus died and was buried. Where'd he go? What what happened to him? Where was, where was Jesus after he died and was buried? Well, he hadn't yet ascended to the Father. And you know, when I was little, sometimes I thought of, you know, you died and then you just ma- magically bing, like appeared in white robes, like next to Jesus up in heaven. He didn't, he hadn't ascended to the Father yet. And yet, like I said, some early versions mention hell. What's going on here, as Timon would say in Lion King? A mini Greek lesson here for us, church. Hell and Hades do not mean the same thing in Greek. Hades was where Jews believed the dead waited for final judgment. It was not a place of everlasting punishment and eternal separation from God as hell is described. In the earliest versions of the creed written in Latin, it was descendit ad inferos. You can see it on the screen, inferos. Inferos translated to Hades, and Hades meant the lower depths, the underworld, the place of the dead. However, in the fourth century, Michael Byrd cites that there was a monk named Rufinus who changed the word from inferos to inferna. Inferos to inferna, meaning hell or perdition. So despite the history of the creed in this particular phase, phrase, what's most important here for us today is this. This is what's most important. The direction of Jesus' movement, not the granular details of the location, but the direction of Jesus's movement. He continued to move downward. We cite Philippians 2 here. He made himself nothing, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And then, as Paul read our text from 1 Peter 3 tells us, he kept descending to the place that was most out of reach. He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. It could have been just those who had been disobedient in Noah's time, as is outlined in the rest of 1 Peter 3. Other scholars think it could have been to all who died before getting a chance to encounter Jesus. Gonzalez, again, says the common view during the Middle Ages was that when Jesus descended, he preached to all who had lived before him, thus giving them an opportunity for salvation." Beautiful. Jesus kept descending to the place that was most out of reach, for the place where death lived, a place far removed from God, a place of waiting and wondering, the place that was inevitable, and yet not seen by the living. Jesus went there. Meanwhile, let's consider the disciples' experience. They'd walked with Jesus. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd witnessed his authority before the religious leaders and in the temple. They'd left their fishing nets and their families to follow him. And that guy that they left those things for is dead killed by the government, and not just killed, but killed in the most humiliating, painful, shameful way the Romans could conjure up. I read this part of the creed about Jesus' death, burial, and descending to the dead. And it hit me, Marcel, that for the disciples, this did not yet mean victory. They hadn't gotten to victory yet. It likely felt like two things. Defeat and distance. Defeat because of exactly what the disciples spoke to who they thought was a stranger on the road to Emmaus. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Jesus was their hope. Jesus had captured their trust and their belief They'd given a lot to the pursuit of this kingdom that Jesus referred to. Even though they weren't perfect, there were misunderstandings and missteps along the way. But now hopes are dashed and perhaps they even feel duped. And in this way, church, I wonder how many of us here in the shed or watching online have dashed hopes and feel duped by Jesus because we have, or maybe had, hopes of redemption, too. Hopes of redemption regarding a relationship with a child or a parent, the redemption of the witness of the church, the redemption of an addiction or battle with mental health. For me personally, The redemption of someone I love deeply who's in a harmful relationship. The redemption of what's been broken due to history that now seems like it's up for debate, racism and violence. The redemption that we thought we could place our trust in. Jesus, we had hoped. Jesus, we had hoped. Jesus, we had hoped. But now the disciples know he's dead. I also think about how Jesus's death and descent also created a sense of distance from him, where Jesus had died. Now they weren't proximate to him anymore. So not only were some asking, where can we hope now? But now they're asking, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, we had hoped. Where are you? Are you asking that question this morning, Marcel? Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you in my job situation? Where are you in my battle with cancer? Where are you in my marriage? Where are you in my desire to have a child? Where are you in my singleness? Some of you are on the verge of walking away altogether or no people, perhaps even from this community, who have, because of defeat, distance, or both. I love the words to the song that we just sang. Even when I can't hear you, you're working. Even when I can't feel you, you're working. Even when I can't see you, you're working. And yet, for some of us, those lyrics were really hard to sing today because we feel defeated and Jesus feels distant. So I'm going to ask you this question a couple days days uh, ago over brunch. Don't ask me this question. Like, where is it that you've tucked so far away in the recesses of your heart or soul, Ashley, that you don't even bring it to Jesus anymore? Mars Hill, for each one of you, where do you sense defeat or distance from? Je- you don't even bring it to him in prayer anymore. You think it's off limits. You think he won't go there. You think it's too far gone, too far removed to ever see redemption. I have to ask you that question because again, before we get to next week in talking about resurrection, we have to understand how deeply discouraged the disciples must have felt not being able to see Jesus or be close to him anymore. It's the feeling of Holy Saturday on a random Tuesday. It's the sting of separation and being let down again. Jesus, this place in my life or your church or the world must be off limits or out of reach then, because, Jesus, you're dead and you're far away. Where's that place for you? We are, if we're really honest, If this phrase of the creed teaches us anything, it's this. It's that there's nowhere, no place, no darkness, no distance, no disappointment, no sinful deed that is too far for Jesus to descend. There's no place. There's no place where he can't get to you. There's no situation where he can't encounter you. Not one place because he went to the depths himself. The promise then, church, is even better than we thought. The promise is not, hear me, the promise is not that we'll never hurt, witness harm, or die. That's not the promise. The promise is that Jesus, the light of the world, the prince of peace, the good shepherd, can break even the power of death with his very life-giving presence. That's what makes us a Jesus people, church. It's not that we're more comfortable, well taken care of, or more blessed. It's that we know we're not out of Jesus's reach. It's the faith of David who proclaimed, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make a bed in the depths, which is Sheol, the Hebrew form of Hades, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The martyrs knew this, like David did. Those who died proclaiming Jesus Christ in the face of other earthly powers. Author Ben Myers tells of how, in the fourth century, Athanasius compared the martyrs to children who play with a lion in the desert. If you want to, you can close your eyes and just listen to this. If you see children playing with a lion, Don't you know that the lion must be either dead or completely powerless? In the same way, when you see Christ's believers playing with death and despising it, there can be no doubt that death has been destroyed by Christ and that its corruption has been dissolved and brought to an end. Mars Hill, just like David knew this, just like the martyrs of the early church knew this, May we know this? May we know that the places we think are too far or out of Jesus' reach, abandoned by him. May we live boldly, confidently, with with unusual joy and strength because we know the story isn't over. This isn't where the creed ends. This isn't where the story ends. What places have you come in with today that I felt too far out of reach for Jesus? What have you wrapped? Or tucked away. I want to read you something that I got in the mail a couple weeks ago. One of the places that for me seems like really hard to keep praying about is for pieces, uh, uh, places where inequity still is rampant, where, where the worthiness and the imago day of people isn't upheld. And it's a longer conversation for a different day, but one of those places is within our prison system here in America. Prisoners are often forgotten about, deemed too far gone to be redeemed. But randomly, out of nowhere, a couple weeks ago, I got this letter in the mail. It's from a young man named Jeremy. And he said, Pastor Ashley, my name is Jeremy. I'm writing this to you because I am a Christian in prison, and I currently do not have a church to fellowship with or a Christian friend. I admit I did not become a Christian until I got locked up. Although as a child I grew up in church, yet the older I got, the more I got caught up in the street life. My mother died in 2019, and her death affected me in a lot of ways. Yet it pushed me closer to God, because I picked up my Bible and started following the path Christ set for us. Here's what we have to understand, church. And Jeremy, I don't know how you got our name, but Jeremy, if you're watching this, you can be part of our church. You can be part of our church. We have to understand, Mars Hill, that if we are going to proclaim a witness of the light of the world, we cannot be afraid of the dark places, because it is in the dark places, like it was for Jeremy, where Christ's presence can be encountered. We have to stop being afraid of those places. So, the invitation for us this morning is a twofold one. It's, it's fairly simple, but I hope it provides challenge to our hearts and to our lives together. The challenge is for those places that you're thinking about even now to be opened up to the full story of the gospel, to once again become living rooms, places where the Holy Spirit dwells, and we live aware of the darkness, pained by what's not yet but not overpowered by it, that we, we are not overpowered by it. And the second invitation is to have the same mind as Jesus Christ, just as he did. To descend to the places that seem too dark or distant and to proclaim him. If we cannot let Jesus into those places, we cannot proclaim him there. We can't. And I can tell you right now there are places in Granville and around our local context in Grand Rapids and in that local context that desperately need the light of Christ. So we must become a church that is not afraid. We have to be that church. The good news for this week, for this phrase of Jesus' descent to the dead is that in his descent, he breached the power of death, though death thought it had breached power over him. And he descended because of love. That's why we come to this table every week, to remember the power of Jesus' descent and what it means for our lives together as the church. We recite this together to remind ourselves that dissent is not where it ends, that there is new life to be found. There is strength and boldness that we might have as the people of God in the dark places. So Mars Hill, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is a new covenant found in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Holy Spirit, come. Would you descend on these elements as you have centuries before this? Do what you always do. Would you provide for us spiritual nourishment? Remind us of the importance of this part of the story, the descent, and may your body and your blood encourage us and give us strength to go there and proclaim your goodness. In Christ's name, amen. And so now, church, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, a mystery that some parts we might never understand, that is important to the strengthening of who we are as living as a Jesus people for the sake of the world. And that mystery is this, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So the invitation now is to receive who you are as the body of Christ. And we also are really, really excited to announce that if you sense a stirring in your heart, the Holy Spirit has brought something to mind And you want that thing that you've tucked away to be brought into the full light of Christ, to be reminded of Christ's presence with you. We have uh, two members of our prayer team in the back. We have Brian by the mural and John, who's gonna be over by the back wall uh, in the prayer room. So I invite you as we move through these next moments together, um, reach out to one of them if, if you'd like to pray. Or if you came with someone that you're sitting next to and you feel led to pray for them or ask for prayer, please do that. Use the space as you need it. Um, Brian and uh, John will also be available after service as well. So if you don't make it there now, they'll be, they'll be hanging around. Bless you.